Horn Free Radio episode 204. On today's show, I'm answering your questions. I have a stack of emails that I want to get through, and here's some of the questions that I'm going to cover. What's the best way to tell my girlfriend about a relapse? Is it a realistic goal to abstain from non-porn-related masturbation when there's no relationship in sight? What do I do if I have blue balls? Matt, have you heard about the new minimalist phones? What if my primary way of acting out is not porn? Can you talk about neurological dependency on porn-free radio? Should I tell my accountability partner about the massage parlor? And finally, can you help me understand my horrific porn withdrawal experience? All this and more on today's show. Porn Free Radio. Gentlemen, you're listening to me right now. You and I are together. I'm there. I'm in your headphones. I'm in your stereo, your Bluetooth, whatever. We're there together. You know, I'm on the treadmill with you or wherever you are at right now. That's the best part about a podcast. There's a community aspect to it. I'm going to break that down. All right, I'm not going to rap for you today. Don't worry. But I'm amped up. Here's another way to look at it. Man, I love the hook on that song. That's good. What up? This is for motivated guys who want to quit looking at porn. And just even if you and I are in this conversation right now, I'm talking, you're listening to me. We're together. I'm saying, dude, come on, man. I want you to feel good enough. I want you to feel loved at your core. I want more for you. Your life doesn't have to be defined by your porn addiction. Gentlemen, we're not alone in this. Well, welcome to Porn Free Radio. This is the podcast for motivated guys who want to quit looking at porn. This is where you come to get hope and take action. I'm your host, Matt Dobschutz. As always, I'm excited about today's show, and I also have a extra large Dunkin' Donuts coffee. I went and got it right before recording. And it's about 100 degrees here in Chicago in July 2019 when I'm recording this episode. And I went and got an extra large hot coffee. That's when you know you're old, getting hot coffee on a hot day. I've become my dad. I've become my grandfather here. Uh, but I love it. I love hot coffee on a hot day. I, don't, I can't explain why. Um, but uh, I'm excited about today's show. And I'm going to get through a ton of email. First of all, I've had a lot of email, just uh, complimentary email, and I'm not going to read them all right now because there's there's a lot of them. Uh, but a couple that I wanted to highlight was I, I heard from uh, Federico in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And uh, he encouraged me and um, said that he loves the message of Porn Free Radio. And uh, that was encouraging to hear that we have some listeners in Argentina. I also heard from uh, Omer in um, Saudi Arabia, and he's listening uh, in Saudi Arabia and likewise encouraged me and said that uh, he really, uh, you know, is inspired by the message of Porn Free Radio. Uh, I also got a great email from Mark, uh, and he, uh, he wrote that he was on a road trip with his wife this summer, and they listened to all 200 episodes of Porn Free Radio. And... Um, he said, together we found them so, so much help. You're such a blessing. We both eagerly await the next one and your weekly emails, which we share. So that's totally cool. Uh, I also heard from Karen, and uh, Karen is a listener who has been with me since the beginning. She reminded me of this, but I've gotten emails from her as far back as I think 2014. And she said, uh, thank you for your interview with Jay Stringer in episode 202. Uh, she said she, she really liked listening to it and she related it to other addiction, addictions as well. Um, so that's great to hear from 
Karen, Mark, Federico, and Omer. Uh, so guys, thanks for sending in those emails, and I really appreciate it. Also, uh, last couple of um, weeks, we've gotten quite a few uh, reviews on iTunes. So one thing I'd ask anyone who listens to Porn Free Radio, if you've gotten hope in the message of Porn Free Radio, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, uh, what's the other one? Spotify, TuneIn, uh, Podbean, wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, leave a review. It helps get the word out. And uh, a couple of ones that I saw in Apple Podcasts uh, this last uh, week were um, from SoberGuy05. He said, uh, here's the help you need. If you've tried unsuccessfully to quit porn, this is the podcast for you. Through his completely non-judgmental, down-to-earth approach, Matt lays down guidance and helpful tips that really work in the quest to live a life that's free of compulsive porn use. That's an awesome one. I love the fact that you said I'm completely non-judgmental. I don't know if I'm completely non-judgmental, but I try to be. Um, Golly G Wizards wrote, powerful. I'm extremely grateful uh, for Matt and his dedication to the message of recovery and compulsive porn use. It takes a lot of passion and vulnerability to discuss these topics and to bring them to the table with the authenticity that Matt does. I've learned more about love for myself, and shame resilience. I have also learned a plethora of recovery tools that I feel give me so much strength and knowledge in dealing with my own addictions. Totally worth your time. Love that one. I love shame resilience. What a great phrase. That should be a podcast title. Um, final one uh, comes from us uh, from BSGTOS. Now, BSGTOS, uh, when I see BSG, I always think of Battlestar Galactica. So I don't know if you're a Battlestar Galactica fan. Uh, but uh, he wrote, thank you, or she wrote, thank you. I just came across your podcast, and I really appreciate what you're doing. I've been dealing with this off and on for probably 15 years, and it really hip- helps to listen to you for encouragement. Thanks again. Well, those are great. Thanks for all those guys, BSG, TOS, and uh, Sober Guy 5, and uh, Golly G. Wiz- what is it? Golly G. Willikers? Uh, Golly G. Wizards. Yeah, guys, thanks so much for those those reviews. And hey, wherever you are listening to this right now, whatever app you're on, do me a favor at the end of the show. Leave a quick review. Um, just get the word out there. It, you know, we used to um, do pretty well in iTunes rankings. I, I don't pay that much attention to it. I did, I did notice one day a few years ago I was beating Deepak Chopra. And I got real excited and I realized he's probably not looking at the iTunes charts wondering if he's beating Matt Dobshoots. But, uh, uh, but you know, something happened about a year ago with the algorithm and we're just like bottom of the barrel. Like, I, I don't know, we do not show up on uh, the top 100 anymore. We don't show up and stuff. So, um, but, you know, when you guys leave reviews and stuff, it does help, I think, search and it helps... Um, just the relevance of different episodes that we do. So please leave a review uh, to continue to help us get the word out. All right, let's get into some of these questions. Uh, Jake writes, I've been dealing with a porn addiction since I was in sixth or seventh grade. I'm now a senior in college. In the past three years, I've been good at acknowledging my problem and taking action. What do you think is the best way to tell my girlfriend about relapses? Uh, I've looked at porn about five times in 2019, and I feel terrible. What's the best way to cause her the least amount of pain? Well, that's a great question, Jake. And uh, I think if we were working together, I would ask you some questions first. Uh, One of them would be, you know, what's the maturity level of your relationship? Is this a new girlfriend? Is this someone who is potentially going to be a fiancé? What's the level of your intimacy relationship? Um, What's the relationship like with physical intimacy? That's another question. Um, You know, I have a lot of different types of listeners. There's listeners who are um, committed to abstinence while dating or uh, not having sex. But then there's listeners who live with their girlfriend and basically have a... uh, a, um, a monogamous sexual relationship 
with uh, their partner. And uh, so that's a, you know, I think the level of disclosure and the level of um, accountability that you have with your partner or your girlfriend is somewhat contingent on what the level of intimacy is in your relationship. So that's one of the first questions I would have. Um, what does she know about your recovery? Um, is this going to be the first thing that she hears, or is she, does she is she an active participant, an ally in your recovery? Now, generally, if I just answer this question, the best way to tell your girlfriend about a relapse, the best way to tell your wife about a relapse or a partner, is to have a strong plan. The worst type of disclosure is a disclosure where you just dump uh, a confession on someone, where you just, where you have no plan, you haven't thought anything about what your next steps are, and you just dump on them. Uh, sometimes they call that scrupulosity. That's where just out of a sense of guilt, you just tell someone something really awful. Um, and it's a way to just relieve your own conscience. Uh, but what they end up, they end up getting traumatized by that experience. So one of the first things I'd say, Jake, is you say you've been good at acknowledging your problem and taking action. So I would take some action to build some of those relationships at college with some of those other guys maybe who could support your porn-free efforts. Um, build a really strong plan. If you've acted out five times in five months, he wrote this in June of 2019, if you've acted five times in five months, to me, that plan is got some problems with it. There's something missing. Um, it could be a weak link problem. There's, a, there's a, some, something in your environment that's making it easy to go to porn. It could be habit-related. Uh, it could be that you don't have enough connection. Uh, there, there could be all sorts of things. There could be some emotional triggers. Maybe, you know, maybe you're more prone to act out when you're anxious about a, a project coming up or something due for school. I don't know what it is for you. Um, but you want to start asking those questions before you start disclosing, you know, to your, to your girlfriend. Um, one other caution I'd say is be careful to not make your girlfriend your only support uh, because that's going to be really hard for her. She wants to build a relationship with you and connect with you. And I don't think she wants to be your, the, the porn police in your life. Um, so you really want to approach her with a plan and if you're telling her you want to tell her for a reason like you want to be honest with her especially if you're headed to courtship or headed towards engagement you want to be really clear about where you're at and that goes to, that goes for everybody uh, in the, who's listening to me you know the deeper you get in a relationship the more she should know about your recovery um, part of the reason why is it helps you um, you know, what if you're in a relationship with someone who's very physical, but it's leading to arousal that you're having trouble dealing with, and um, you're not at a, a point of having a sexual relationship, or you're you're, you know, waiting till marriage, or what if she likes watching Game of Thrones and that triggers you? Um, one of the reasons why you want to talk about your story and your recovery is so that she has an idea of what. Um, what things maybe you might need to put some boundaries around. You know, if she was dating a recovering alcoholic, she wouldn't be, you know, taking you to bars every night, right? So you need to give her some, you need to let her in on some of the stuff that's going on with you. Uh, but you want to really do that on the basis of the intimacy in the relationship. You know, first date's probably not the uh, the time to go into your porn journey. Um, but if you are starting to have an exclusive relationship and there's some level of intimacy, you should start having a conversation about what it looks like for you, what it means for you to be in recovery, uh, what kind of tools you're using to stay uh, porn free. All those types of things should be part of your early conversations with your partner or girlfriend. All right, let's get to this next question. This is interesting. Grant asked the question, uh, what's your opinion about porn addicts that are trying to maintain sobriety while not being involved in a sexual relationship in the next few years? 
Uh, is it realistic to plan to abstain from even non-porn-related masturbation when there's no other sexual alternative in sight? Um, so this question is kind of an interesting one. Um, he kind of sets it up. He uses the word porn addict, which I, which I don't always use, but let's say that we use the word recovering person. So let's say this is someone who has had a deep dependence on porn and masturbation in their life and they're letting go of it. They're working a plan. Um, they're getting in uh, to support and they're you know really trying to walk this out. And at the same time, um, they're in a part of their life where they're single and celibate. Maybe they're even, um, you know, potentially um, they want to not have sex until marriage or something like that. Um, so there's, there's this period of abstinence that they have. And so what, what do I think about masturbation? Now, the problem is for us, if we've developed a lot of habits around compulsive porn use, it usually... 99% of the time, it involves masturbation. I, I made that up, 99. Maybe it's 90%. I don't know. Maybe there's guys who just are, you know, watching and getting aroused and masturbating later. I don't know. But it, it feels like to me that um, most porn sessions for me were involving masturbation in my life. If, if I had to put a number on it, it would be 99.9%. So that means that the habit of masturbation, the physical act of it, uh, the ritual is very ingrained in us. So letting go of porn will probably still, um, there'll still be some really powerful associations with the act of masturbation in our life. And since porn is really just stimulation for masturbation, we're going to still maybe potentially struggle with, you know, active fantasy and other types of things, um, edging or other activities to, to hope to, to, to be stimulated during masturbation. So part of the recovery journey is letting go of this sort of external stimulation um, or this fake stimulation in terms of fantasy uh, and focusing on things that are real. But if you're not in a relationship, if you're not in a sexual relationship, what happens? So I think there's a couple of ways that guys go with this. Some guys uh, put some limits on masturbation. Uh, time limits, how often. Um, some guys focus on mindful masturbation. So this is like, you know, they're, they're trying to clear their mind and almost meditate uh, not go into prolonged fantasy or pornographic fantasy, not have euphoric recall. Um, some guys make it a real physical act, you know, like in the shower or something like that. But many guys realize that um, it's so ingrained with the habit that it's better to focus on abstaining, that it becomes a bottom line for them. Um, that's where it was for me. Now, when I first went porn-free, I didn't take masturbation off the table but over time, I let go of it. Now, one of the reasons why it was easier to let go of is I was starving all of the porn habits. Um, so my mind wasn't constantly craving uh, porn or it didn't have porn to go to. And so masturbation became not quite as exciting. Uh, I was so dependent on porn to masturbate that masturbation on its, in and of itself wasn't that exciting. Um, so Grant, I'm not sure where you're at with this, but, um, you know, there's a couple ways to go. Some people end up on the side of complete abstinence and I totally think physically it's possible. I don't think that you have to have an orgasm in your life. And if, if your body needs to have an orgasm, you'll have a, uh, what do they call it? A, a nocturnal emission, a, a wet dream, something like that. You know, I think there's ways that our body can process that. Um, but, uh, but I think it's possible. Um, I also have heard guys, you know, have some success with, you know, reducing or putting really strong boundaries on how and when they masturbate, that they're not mindlessly just masturbating whenever, but they're, it's more of a focused thing. 
Now, one other thing I'd say that is important, and I learned this from a friend of mine. Uh, she was talking about her own kind of challenge with masturbation. I don't think she felt that it was wrong or anything like that. But she realized that she ultimately wanted to be married and she wanted a really healthy relationship with her future spouse. And as she engaged in sort of self-gratification and masturbating, she realized she was spending a lot of time learning about her body and connecting and and acting out. And um, it, um, she realized, am I kind of robbing my future husband from sort of this excitement of getting to know me? Um, am I getting so good at queuing up my own sort of pleasure that I'm not really going to be able to include anyone else in this? And I think that's a really good question. Is your reason for masturbating, is it that you want to just have a release or are you still um, kind of entrenched in that need to sort of meet your own needs? Because ultimately, if you want to be in that relationship in the future, you may not want to be an expert masturbator because expert masturbators get in trouble when they get into healthy relationships. I, I know that was a, the case for me. You know, I got into a healthy relationship and I retreated to masturbation and porn. So just something to think about there. All right, let's get to this next one. This is kind of a follow-up question. It's uh, from Adam. Um, he said, um, most guys consider masturbation either a form of edging or complete relapse. I'm having a hard time with this especially after two to three weeks, I start feeling a very intense swelling in my testicles, blue balls, so bad that it hurts even to just sit or walk. I'm in a relationship as well, and we're trying to save ourselves until marriage, uh, save, save sex until marriage. This doesn't help the situation since every time I see her, I get aroused, even just by kissing, it makes the swelling worse. Should I try to stop altogether or is there some healthy way to do it every one to two weeks um, to help stay recovered long term? Uh, thanks so much, Adam. So, you know, this is kind of a follow-up. I mean, this is kind of a similar kind of situation uh, where there's actually some a physical issue here. Now, in Adam's case, I think that he's on to something when he talks about the arousal that's happening in the relationship. Because they're not having sex um, and they're, they're abstaining from sex, um, there is probably an arousal pattern with them where this is becoming a physical challenge. Now, there's a couple of ways you can go with this. Again, you could look for the limiting type of behavior or putting some boundaries around when and how you masturbate, mindfulness, those type of things. That may or may not work that may just cause more problems. But one thing I'd say that I learned in my dating relationship with my wife, and this is before recovery, but I still was working on not, uh, on starving some of these, um, uh, habits. Like I wasn't, I never felt good about looking at porn and I never, um, I, I tried to abstain from masturbation. So I, I did have a relationship with my wife and we abstained from having sex before getting married. And so I, d I definitely remember this challenge. Uh, but here's one thing that helped my wife and I that really helped me was we started dialing back our physical connection um, after we got engaged. And this is kind of counterintuitive. You know, a lot of people, they, they sort of amp up their physical engagement after engagement or after, you know, uh, they get more serious, but we actually dialed it back, um, because, you know, we used to like make out on the couch and then it was like getting kind of hot and heavy and you'd be like, Hey, this, we don't really have a place for this because we're not having a sexual relationship. Um, you know, and then it's funny, we, we decided, well, we'll just say goodbye in the hallway. Well, there was this point where we're like leaning up against the wall, kissing each other in the hallway. And at some point we realized, 
we need to just have a quicker goodbye ritual that we can't be making out in the hallway. Because what was it doing? It was creating a lot of arousal and craving for something that wasn't going to happen. It's like essentially foreplay, if you think about it. You know, kissing and massage, touch, uh, especially if there's any sort of sexual touch, that's foreplay. And if you're not, if you're committed to not having sex, that's going to be a problem. That is going to create uh, swelling in your testicles. So one of the first things I'd consider doing, Adam, is having a conversation with your, um, I don't know if it's your girlfriend or your, or your uh, fiance. Let me see. I can't tell. Um, you're in a dating relationship. So talk to your girlfriend and kind of talk to her about your recovery and talk to her about uh, arousal and and start putting some boundaries around that put a, put some put some caps on that some you know to to deal with this now if you're continuing to have a really bad physical problem you can't walk or having trouble sitting down you might want to see a doctor you might want to see if there's anything else going on um but uh, my thinking is that it's because there's a lot of arousal happening in your relationship that's why it's hard to deal with um and as I said in my last uh, 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 my discussion with Grant, it's, it's, um, it's one of those things that you need to really look at, hey, this is a recovery from a whole pattern of acting out with masturbation and porn. And so you need to be careful to not just, uh, to not just sort of uh, carelessly masturbate as a, you know, to not use this blue balls challenge as a, as as just a, a green light to masturbate uh, without you know, any thought to how it affects you. You may want to look at it a little deeper and see if there's ways that you can make things safer. All right, let's keep going. Uh, Matt, have you heard of the, minimal, of the new minimalist phones? Uh, Matt, um, have you heard of Light Phone 2? I recently ordered it. It's expected to be released between June and September. It's basic... It's a basic 4G phone that can't access the internet, but still has useful tools like maps, texting, calling, calculator, and such. Uh, the ultimate digital minimalist phone. Anyway, thought you'd be interested. Uh, Sam wrote that. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I have heard about these minimalist phones, and I've been watching a couple of them, including the light phone. Um, and there's also Punked, P-U-N-K-T. Um, the punked phone is for, is a European phone. And, uh, one of the problems is they, they have, um, they're having trouble getting the U S carriers to support it. So, um, but I've been watching it and then the light phone is another cool phone. It's, it's just, these are like really simple phones, simple displays, and they come out of the minimalist movement. I, I mentioned digital minimalism a couple of uh, months ago on the podcast, uh, by Cal Newport. And, uh, you know, this is kind of coming out of that movement of reducing screens and reducing dependence on, on screens and things like that, which I totally support. I think we all would benefit from reducing our dependence on screens. Uh, I don't think they have the right phones out there yet. Um, I'm shocked that someone hasn't just written a really great Android um, operating system that just has, that makes your Android phone like a minimalist phone. Maybe someone has, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's out there yet, uh, in, in sort of popular production. Um, but I, I, I love this idea. I love this idea of making your phone a little dumber and especially removing things that uh, are weak links, things that constantly, uh, pull you back into porn and porn behaviors. So yeah, Sam, let me know when you get your phone, what it's like. I'd love a review, you know, maybe a month after using it. Um, so let me know when it's released and when you, when you get it. All right. I got an email from Chris and he had a question about acting out. He said, Hey Matt, I really enjoy your podcast. You've really helped me. I'm a 46 year old married man and I have two daughters uh, my wife has no idea about the extent of my acting out over the years. I've watched a lot of porn, but I've also acted out by taking uh, naked pictures of myself and posting them on forums and um, getting feedback 
uh, for these pictures. He said, but I've really hated myself doing this. I'd be interested to know if you've worked with other men who act out similar to myself. Um, so I, I cut out a whole bunch. He talked a little bit about some of the types of patterns, but it's basically a pattern of, of exhibitionism and, you know, posting and getting feedback and, you know, um, and, um, this is not uncommon. Uh, there are so many different ways that we can kind of act out and there's many ways that we can, um, go to porn behaviors. And I say that a lot. I say porn and porn behaviors because I really want to include these behaviors that are potentially digitally based, you know, where we're uploading or downloading stuff or we're engaging with content or creating content. Um, but I don't want you guys to ever think that when I say porn, I'm just talking about, you know, watching a porn video and masturbating to it. I'm talking about the whole gamut of things. Uh, I've talked a little bit about some of my recovery, and I don't know if I've mentioned this recently on Porn Free Radio, but you know, one of the first things I was addicted to was erotic stories, um, and even digitally. You know, so even after I got a computer, that was still a primary way of acting out for me. Now, there's no, um, you know, there's no photos or video there. There's no p exploited people, right? It's not traditional pornography like, you know, uh, with, with actors and actresses and things like that. But for me, you know, that was like a way that I acted out, Um you know, there's guys who struggle with, uh, you know, social media sites, just, you know, stalking people on Facebook and looking at their profile pictures. These are pictures that aren't even, uh, you know, arousing. They're not, they're not made to arouse. You know, a lot of pornography, the way we define it is, um, you know, it's content that's created to arouse stuff. So, you know, there's, there's TV shows that, you know, use sex to create arousal. There's movies. Um, there's obviously, you know, porn videos, things like that, erotic literature, but you know, a lot of us guys, sometimes we struggle with our own internal desires. Um, we're, we're bringing the pornographic mind to something that's innocuous, you know, to a magazine or to, uh, a catalog, um, that's not aimed at, um, creating arousal. So, the answer I have for you, Chris, is has I worked, have I worked with guys who struggle with this? I absolutely have. And there's plenty of listeners in Porn Free Radio who have struggled with things exactly like you're struggling with. But here is the thing that I really want you to hear. In 12-step groups, uh, there's a phrase that I heard a long time ago that I think is great. Uh, and it's this, the lyrics are different, but the melody is the same. The lyrics are different, but the melody is the same. If you're going around saying, I'm unique and I'm the only one who struggles with this thing, this niche, this fetish, this, this whatever, um, that's just a way to keep you isolated. That's a way to make you feel like somehow recovery isn't for you or no one would really understand your struggle. And I, I find it all the time. I get an email every once in a while from guys who say, yeah, I don't really struggle with porn. And then they talk about some uh, you know, sexual compulsion and habit that they have that's not exactly like looking at porn on a, on a video. And I'm like, that is totally a porn struggle. That's totally just like the ritual that I struggled with for years. You know, the lyrics may be different. I didn't look at that kind of porn or engage in that type of behavior, but I totally understand what's driving you to it. I totally understand the acting out and the shame cycle that follows. So when you're listening to me say porn or porn behaviors, Chris, substitute in uploading pictures of yourself and wanting affirmation from, from other people in the forum. That's your porn. That's the way that you're trying to get those needs met. That's the way you're trying to get that buzz or that high. And, you know, um, and don't, don't overly shame yourself for that's the way you do it. And don't think that you're better than 
a guy who struggles with something different. Um, the lyrics are different, but the, the melody is the same. All right, let's get to this next question. Where are we at here? About 40 minutes in? Okay. Um, this comes to us from Blake. Blake writes, I'm grateful that you keep coming to us every week with new ideas about porn. Two ideas I think are very important. It would be interesting if you talked a little bit about the science of neurological dependency. I think it would be something that freshens up your material and integrates it with a way that a lot of guys look at this, even though you take a different view. Don't be afraid to come out of the porn problem from all sorts of different angles to keep listeners making new connections through your material in their lives. Number two, your podcast would be so much better if it was a 30 to 35 minutes. If you cut right to the chase and had an outline, I think it would flow better. I feel like there's a lot of filler and I often don't listen to the whole thing or start listening uh, halfway through. That said, the material is good and very important and needs to just be cut down more to encourage listeners to finish. Overall, thank you for what you do. Well, Blake, you, Blake, Blake, you, I almost said, thank you, Blake. Um, you know, I really appreciate the spirit that you wrote this letter. I, I really feel like not only is this constructive feedback, but it's feedback for my benefit. And I can receive it that way. Um, but there's a couple of things that I, I, I would love to respond to, and I'm not defensive here. This is, this is just me responding. Um, the question of science, the science of neurological dependency, this is a big topic. And, um, and I know in the past, there's been times where I've kind of, you know, questioned it or, um, question the emphasis on it. Um, because I think guys, a lot of guys are really invested in this way of looking at this challenge with pornography that, um, you know, I hear this all the time about my brain being on porn or that I'm addicted to dopamine or, you know, those types of things. And, um, and then there's a lot of stuff about the internet, you know, that, that this is more hyper stimulating than maybe pornography from the past and that it's causing these other effects. Um, but here's the thing. When I wade in to some of these articles, and I've gone to your, your brainonporn.com, run by Gary Wilson, which is a clearinghouse for all of these studies and articles, I find myself getting lost in these studies. Like, I don't know what the recovery takeaway is from some of this data. Um, and, you know, when I look at other uh, behavior addictions, you know, there's a lot of times when they talk about porn addiction or porn dependency, you know, they'll talk about some of the, the other behavior addictions. So the big one is gambling. You know, how does gambling affect people? Compulsive gambling. Another one is um, tico, uh, I might pronounce this wrong. It's like ticotillomania. That's where you're pulling out your hair. And, um, and they've done a lot of research on those particular behavioral addictions. And, um, but what they found is a lot of times the treatment for those behavior addictions is tools. It's cognitive behavior therapy. It's going to groups, support groups, talking about your feelings. So a lot of the solutions in, in terms of the, the treatment is not a medical treatment. Uh, it's not, uh, you know, taking a, a drug. Sometimes there's an antidepressant thing that has, a, has some benefits for some of those behavior addictions. But a lot of times, it's a lot of the things we talk about here on Porn Free Radio. What are the tools you need for recovery? Um, you know, for ticotillomania, for example, pulling your hair out. They were saying that one of the things that, uh, that a guy, a person struggling with that has to start to learn is, hey, what are the situations where I go to pull my hair out? How can I start anticipating those things? Does that sound familiar? Winners anticipate, losers react. They say it all the time, right? So 
you know, think about pulling out your hair. I mean, that's a pretty strong behavior addiction that affects people. It's very compulsive. Um, but what's the, what are some of the tools that they use? Well, they help people anticipate. They help people talk about feelings. They help people talk about the situations that need tools. So I, I think you maybe know where I'm going with this, but, but it's this. The purpose of Porn Free Radio is not to be a clearinghouse for neurological dependency stuff and for science. That's, that's yourbrainonporn.com. You can, you can go deep at yourbrainonporn.com on that. But when you want to start figuring out what is the recovery tools that you need to let go of this, to create new patterns in your life, that's where, that's where Porn Free Radio comes in. Um, I mean, think of it like this. What if this was a fitness podcast and I was a personal trainer? Does a personal trainer, um, you know, talk about nutrition? Sure. But do they go on and on and on about the science of, of addiction to salt, sugar, and fat? No. They talk more about habits. They talk more about using tools and creating, you know, healthy workout patterns in your life and maybe healthy eating patterns. But they don't go into, you know, uh, they don't go into sugar addiction. And so it's kind of the same with me. It's like my focus is training. My focus is recovery. And Gary Wilson's focus, you know, over at yourbrainonporn.com is really a lot about the emerging science of neurological dependency. And, you know, maybe there's going to be a breakthrough over there where, you know, we're going to find, hey, there's a, a drug we can take that will reduce craving or will help us uh, heal faster. But, um, you know, until that happens, um, you know, creating healthy habits, um, getting better at anticipating your feelings, getting better at feeling, you know, really connecting with others. That's, that's the way to go. Um, I, I read on Reddit this a few years ago, there was a discussion about this, I think, cause I said something a little inflammatory that got put on Reddit and there was a little bit of discussion. And one of the guys who was defending me said, um, you know, if science proves that this isn't an addiction once and for all, that, that, that there's no physical problem with this, that we're not really neurologically dependent, that there's nothing wrong with us. He said, I still don't want this in my life. <laughs> and that's exactly how I am. You know, if it's, if it gets put in the DSM, you know, which it's not right now, if it at some point becomes a, a mental disorder that's cataloged and treated by psychiatrists and psychologists, um, that doesn't change my experience or my need to recover. And if it's rejected by the, by that profession, um, that doesn't change my experience either. I still don't want this in my life. So that's really where I come out, uh, with that on Blake, uh, with, with Blake. Now there might be down the road, there might be someone, I did have Jay Stringer on a couple of weeks ago and, you know, he talked a little more, um, in his book about, uh, some of the science, and then he did a lot of research. They did a lot of uh, interviewing uh, people, and they had a they had a model actually to to help map um, some of those um, markers in people's lives that are tr contributed to um, what they looked at in porn and what they desired in porn. So I'm not opposed to science, and I'm not opposed to rigorous testing and things like that. I just, for me, my focus is recovery. And so that's kind of what I do here. Now, in terms of the time, where are we at in the time? We're, we're at 49 minutes. So I'm not sure if you've listened to this episode, you got this far. But um, yeah, uh, would a 30 to 35 minute episode be, um, be good? Sure. Is it always possible? No. Sometimes I get on a roll and I keep talking. Um, you know, and uh, you know, the way I consume podcasts maybe is different from you. 
uh, a lot of times what I do is I listen to, a, I don't have a commute. I work at home. So I listen to podcasts, you know, when I'm running to Dunkin' Donuts or when I'm doing the dishes. So a lot of times it'll take me a day or two to get through a podcast that's an hour long. It's just the way I listen to it. If it's good, I keep listening. If it's not, I listen to something else. So my goal is not to get every guy who listens to Porn for Radio back to the, you know, to the end of the episode. But um, I think that you can listen that way. I don't think that's a problem. Um, and there's been times where I've thought about breaking up episodes, you know, like this episode, I could have done five emails this week and it would have been 30 minutes, but you know, I did one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, I, you know, I got like seven or eight here. So, you know, that's just the way I did it today. And I figure this episode people can listen to over this week and, you know, they'll get to the, they'll get to the end eventually. That's kind of the way I look at it. Um, I don't, I, I, I don't know. And I used to script out emails or emails. I used to script out things a lot more. But when I listen to those episodes, I hear a guy who's trying to be a podcaster. I hear a guy sometimes who's in his own head, um, maybe a little too overly formal. And that's not me. If you know me, like Blake, if we hung out, if you, you know, next time you come to Chicago, look me up. If, if we went out to a bar and hung out, you know, I like telling stories. I like having fun. I, I'm not a guy who's, you know, giving you the bullet points on everything. I'm a guy who likes to screw around, talk. And sometimes I let that go on the podcast, you know, talking about rap music, talking about coffee. That's, that's who I am. I, I realize it can go a little long. I got a, I got a criticism from someone who was mad that my Valentine's Day episode had about a 12-minute beginning to it where I was just talking about life. But you know what? It kind of pissed me off when I got that email because I was just like, you know what, dude? I felt like he was telling me, just get to the part that I want to listen to. I don't want to hear about what you like or I don't want to hear about, you know, what rap song you like, you know? Like it just, the way he said it, I think it was a review on Podbean. It just sort of, sort of annoyed me. Like my whole life isn't porn recovery. You know, I'm passionate about it. I want to help guys. It's part of the business that I do. I serve you guys. I love it. I love connecting with you guys. But man, I'm a real person. I'm not some guy who just lectures on porn addiction all the time. I mean, so that's kind of, it's a podcast, you know? That's, that's what it is. And if I try to be too professional sometimes, it starts to lose authenticity. So it's a fine line. I get it. There's times where I should make my point quicker. There's times I would have probably benefited from an outline, but there's other times that I think magic happens when I haven't, uh, you know, overly scripted things. So I hope that helps. And, uh, I love the, I love the passion in your email though. And I like that the fact that you care about this show. So thanks Blake. All right, I got two more emails, and let's get through them here. Um, uh, this guy, he asked it to mean to not use his name, um, so I'll just pick up where he right after he says his name. He says, "I just turned twenty, and I've struggled with porn and masturbation since I was fourteen. Uh, I have not had more than thirty days of sobriety since that sad day." Within the past four months, I've gone beyond just acting out with porn and have visited a massage parlor several times. I'm deeply ashamed and do not want to continue uh, or go beyond anything potentially damaging. I plan on finding an accountability partner or two and would like to make my dad one of them. A few things I plan to talk about to my dad are my access to apps that are inappropriate, my seven-day plan, uh, him taking my keys whenever I get home, uh, and letting him know when I mess up. I'm debating about whether to tell him about going to the massage parlor um, or simply telling him I'm tempted to go, which is technically not wrong. What do you think I should do in regards to telling my dad about the massage parlor? So uh, to, the, to the guy who wrote this, here's the thing. You're right at the beginning of this. You know, uh, you've, you've done a seven-day plan you're, you're kind of, you've tried to do probably a couple things on your own. Um, 
and you realize, hey, I need some other people supporting me. I agree. And dad might be a great accountability partner. Um, he, he, he might be an ally, though. It, it, it depends. Sometimes our parents, sometimes uh, family members um, are better off being allies to us, meaning helping us with our passcodes, helping us maybe uh, organize things um, so that we have a safe environment, but maybe not the guy who we want to check in with every day. You know, you said, hey, I, I want to tell my dad whenever I mess up. That, that feels shame-based. Like, I'm going to be going to dad and saying, I messed up again, dad. Um, the ideal situation is you have a group of guys who, you know, you can be honest about the things coming up in your life. If you do have a slip or relapse, you can check in about it and get some support getting your plan back together. Uh, it's not just reporting on when you've messed up. But this question about the massage parlor, I think there's a lot of shame around that. But here's the thing, you know, the escalation to a massage parlor is worth noting. That's, that's a step for you. You went from just porn and porn behaviors to an offline experience. And that is really important to get help and support around, especially if you don't want to do it. Because, um, you know, massage parlors can lead to other more dangerous activities. And so you really, if you really want to get, um, get clear of this, you need to, to check in and, and be honest with someone in your life about it. Um, so I think it would be helpful to go to your dad and, and, and kind of let him know everything that's happened. Um, and especially the massage parlor. You, you wanna, the, the goal is not to humiliate you here, but the goal is to get light into all these areas and all these behaviors. Um, there might be someone else that you need to go to. You might need to, to look and see if there's a, um, you know, a counselor in your area who you could talk to. Um, I don't know if you're in a church group, but that might be something uh, to to look at. Is is there something in your area that you could go to a, a Celebrate Recovery or, or an SA group? Um, you want to get as much support as you can um, because I think you're right at the beginning. You're just at the point where you're really starting to maybe understand some of the things that are pulling you, but you don't have the support and tools to really walk this out. So hang in there and, uh, you know, feel, feel free to email me back if you have an update or let me know how it goes with, with your dad. I would at least have a conversation with him. Maybe he's not your long-term accountability partner, but maybe he could support you for the next month or two as you work your plan. All right, final email. Can you help me understand my horrific porn withdrawal experience? And this came to me. Uh, from a young guy in London, and he has a unique name, and he didn't tell me whether to use his name or not, so I'm gonna with I'm not gonna say his name, uh, but he says uh, I'm an IT worker from London, England, who's been struggling with quitting porn since 2015. It's only within the past year and a half that, with the love and patience of my amazing girlfriend and family, I've managed to hit streaks of 100 days or longer. I'm currently on a 43-day streak but I wanted to speak about my last relapse and the fallout that I still feel today. After breaking at a 109-day streak in April, I had a moment of weakness and relapsed before letting my family, girlfriend, and accountability partner know and attempting to move on. What followed two weeks afterwards was some of the most horrific, painful, and terrifying withdrawal symptoms I've ever experienced since beginning my porn-free journey three years ago. I felt sick to my stomach constantly, suffered panic attacks, depression, insomnia, muscle aches and pains, feelings of worthlessness, highly negative, repetitive thoughts, and the conclusion that I had lost my mind. I broke down in front of my family members several times and eventually went to see several doctors. Each one told me that my health was optimal. I boxed three to four times a week. <laughs> Humble brag. And... <laughs> That was me. I was just joking. Um, I, bo I box three to four times a week. I don't know why I found that funny. Um, and <laughs> there's nothing wrong with me. All right. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not laughing at you. This is just, I just, that caught me as funny for some reason. But, um, there's nothing wrong with you physically. I get that. Um, they gave me sleeping tablets and sedatives, but I haven't taken any of them because I know this is an emotional struggle that I'm going through and not physiological. 
In recent weeks, I've been feeling better, but in the past few days, albeit on a smaller scale, I've had underlying anxiousness, depression, and feeling weird uh, as if I'm viewing myself from the third person. I'm putting this down to my brain continuing to rewire and recover, but was wondering if any of these symptoms resonate with you uh, when you were at a similar stage in your porn recovery journey. Um, So I, I think I'll just stop there and answer that question. So here's the thing that I find interesting about this story is this. And I actually wrote back, uh, and uh, we kind of had an offline conversation about this, but, I, but I'll, I'll share this for the rest of you guys. The thing I found the most interesting about this was this is being defined as a withdrawal experience, yet if you catch it, he had been 109 days sober. Then he acted out, but put his plan back together, reached out to the support in his life, got back on track, and then had this this sort of um, uh, pushback. And is that withdrawal? That's the question I have. I would expect withdrawal to be in the first couple of days, you know, of, of, you know, I've been acting out with porn for months, I've been binging, and now I've turned off the faucet. That's when I would expect some of the classic withdrawal type experience. But this is after a long period of abstinence. And, you know, based on some of the popular discussions about brain rebooting and rewiring and that stuff, wouldn't the brain have been somewhat rewired or healed in that 100-day period? I mean, according to that sort of popular wisdom. That's the question I have. I don't know. I don't know the answer. But here's the interesting thing. What if we looked at this as an emotional response, not a physical withdrawal, like, like I got off a of heroin and then I tried it again and then I craved it again? What if we looked at this as, hey, these are things in our body, in our, it could be physical, it could be mental, emotional, spiritual, that are creating a lot of discomfort in us. And what would be the point of some of those feelings? You know, what would be, what's the subconscious thing that those things are potentially leading us to? going back to porn. I'm losing my mind. Well, what do I want? I want certainty. What is what provides certainty? Well, historically, porn provided a certain level of certainty or calm. I'm feeling worthless. Porn affirms me. I'm feeling some panic or anxiety. Again, porn brings security. I'm feeling pain, pain, porn numbs pain. I think there's something in us after we start saying no to this, there's something in the natural part of us that wants to keep going back to this, that keeps trying to draw us back. I did share one experience on Porn Free Radio about how after about a month of abstinence, I had just almost acted out, but caught myself and called my wife on the phone. She was traveling uh, for the weekend. And after I stood up to the, the porn, stood up to the behavior and didn't act out, I felt like my apartment was possessed. And I felt this incredible fear. And it could have been a panic attack. It, could have, it felt like a demon was in my apartment. Was that my brain rewiring? Or was that some part of me that was reacting to me not going to the default settings, to not going to that thing that I had gone to over and over and over again? When I said no, 
it led to a lot of pushback. It led to this experience of, of getting, of all these feelings flooding in. And, um, you know, I think that's going on here. And the good news is, is you've been able to go 100 days. That means that you're using tools. Guys don't accidentally get to 100 days. I've never met a guy who just sort of, you know, said, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. Just going to, I'm going to just, you move on. You know, if this has been a reoccurring struggle with you, 100 days is impossible if you're not using some tools. If you're not checking in, if, you're not, if you don't have a plan, if you don't have a group, it's borderline impossible. So the cool thing is you've been doing these things. So I would look at this sort of, you know, couple week period after the relapse as resistance. This is resistance to you continuing in this journey of recovery. And resistance, I think a lot of times comes from the ego. I think there's the ego is kind of invested in us staying stuck and staying in these patterns. And um, I think it was uh, Gay Hendricks who talked about, you know, at some point we discover a boulder in our living room and the boulders that were unlovable. And, you know, we're constantly looking for external things to tell us that we're lovable. And for many of us guys who you know, fell in love with porn or fell, you know, had this relationship with porn, we were looking for that external thing to make us feel good enough, to make us feel lovable, to make us feel worthy. And, um, and when we say no to that behavior and say, Hey, I'm actually going to create a recovery plan. I'm going to grow. I'm going to start loving myself. I'm going to start creating new habits based on my worth, worth, based on my worth, not on feeling worthless. I'm going to start valuing myself with self-care. I'm going to start sharing with others and asking for help. When we start doing that, there's a part of us, a selfish part of us, an ego part of us, a false self part of us that rebels against that and says, no. I don't want you to go into this new area of recovery. I want you to stay in this comfortable area that we've been at. Uh, I want you to try to get your needs met from external things. The ego, that's what the ego does. The ego wants that external love. And um, so I think that's what's going on. Now, I could be wrong. There may be something else. But I think the things that a lot of times we define as withdrawal are really um, a trick. It's a trick from our conscious, from our ego, maybe even our brain that's trying to draw us back into the relationship with porn. And we need to just see it for what it is and expect resistance You know, I think some guys really have this great thing happen when they first get in recovery. They have a flight into health. And that's where, you know, maybe it's 30 days, maybe it's 60 days. It's easy. Now, if that happens to you, if that's you, if you've clicked into Porn Free Radio and you followed a couple of tools and you started getting a few weeks porn free, great. Use that time to double down and invest in creating a long-term recovery plan for yourself. Build as many tools Get as many connections as you can to keep moving forward because at some point you'll hit resistance. You'll hit what this guy in London hit. Maybe it'll come in a relapse or maybe it'll come in a close call. But when it hits, it can take us to all sorts of places. Stomach pain, panic attacks, insomnia, you know, So that's why you build recovery habits. That's why you build tools in your life and expect resistance. Resistance is normal. We don't like to change. And we don't like to press into discomfort. So 
These are hard things that we're doing on Porn Free Radio. Um, so we need as much much support and tools as we can get. Well, guys, what, where are we at? Oh, we're just over the hour mark. Let's uh, let's pack it in today. It's been a good episode, guys. This week, take hope and take action. We'll see you next time on Porn Free Radio. And I'll try to make it a little shorter. Take care. <laughs>